What a blessing it has already been to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you will, in your copy of God's Word to turn with me this morning to Ecclesiastes. And we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 10 through 20 as we continue this week and next and finish up this series, Finding Meaning in Life. I pray that God has used the name of His Son Jesus and the influence of the Holy Spirit to encourage you through this series, to uh, train you for godliness, and to bless your life, and to trust Him even more. If you are physically able, I ask if you will to stand with me in honor and reverence of reading God's Word this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possession and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And all of God's children said together, Amen. You may be seated. Well, We all have heard the phrase, you can't take it with you, right? We've all heard the phrase and probably said it, well, money doesn't make you happy, right? And yet it's the very thing that turns the world. We say those things, but we also understand that money is the very thing that turns the world. Not only that, it changes us whether there is much of it in our lives or whether there is little of it in our lives. So therefore, these verses are very important for us to deal with today as we are in this series of finding meaning in life. Let me tell you two ways to miss the heart of this message today. Two ways to miss the heart of this message and leave here with nothing other than saying, boy, it was uh, some good singing today and things like that. One way is to say, I already know that the love of money is bad and that you can't take it with you. 
we've already explained we all know that stuff. We say it to people, we say it out, but still money changes us or the lack thereof. That's one way to miss the heart of this message today. The other way is to say, don't worry, Pastor Allen, I don't have Solomon's riches, so therefore I don't have his problem, and none of us do. So to say that we already know something, or to deny that we have an issue with it, is to miss the heart not only of today's message, but any message when you come in here. Even when it's a familiar passage of Scripture, to say, I know that Scripture, I know what he's going to teach, and or to assume that that's everybody else's problem, that's going to make you miss the point in the heart of any message and hardening your heart, therefore not receiving blessings from the Holy Spirit. So I ask today that we open our hearts and that we open our minds and that we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to test our hearts and for Him to add His life-giving wisdom into our lives. Will you do that with me today? Say amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, steal our minds and attention, Lord, away from the things of the world. Draw us, Lord, to the foot of the cross and there see a loving Savior that gave His life for us that we might find purpose and meaning. Draw us, Lord, to the throne of grace and impart Your heavenly divine life-giving wisdom into our lives. We thank You, Lord Jesus, and ask these things believing, and for the namesake of our Savior, Amen. We've heard that money is the root of all evil, right? But that's not true. Biblically, it is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's what it states in 1 Timothy 6.10. Don't take my word for it. You look that up in 1 Timothy 6.10 later. And it says, for the love of money. We misquote that in our days when we say, well, money is the root of all evil. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. You see, the truth is, we need money. In this world, even Jesus said, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's. He understood that there were two kingdoms that were a part of, even as believers. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world that our feet tread upon. We need money for food. We need money for clothing, for housing, for living, for giving and serving. And even Jesus and His disciples had a money bag and they had a treasurer in Judas. So even Jesus, even though they did not live a luxurious lifestyle, they still had money for their travels, and people, I'm sure, still supported them in many ways. So as you can go to one extreme and live a life that is way above your means and love money, so you can also go to the other extreme and reject money and moderate wealth, thinking you're somehow wise or righteous and not a part of the problem with the world. But, but I want to say that too is just as foolish. I remember being in my office, been within the last four to five years, and a gentleman came in in the middle of the day, and he was traveling and he needed help, and he did not have a, a car or home, he hitchhiked, and I remember his words, and he said, I, I don't believe in the in society's way of, of money and all of these things. And, 
uh, he led me to believe that, that, uh, you know, he wasn't part of the problem with the issues of money in our world and how corrupt it is. And I just remember thinking, but you're asking me for help. So you can say you don't need that, but yet you're depending upon people for that, for the basic needs of food, clothing. And I don't, it's not that I minded the help. I'm just saying, do you see the dualness of that? Of saying, I'm not part of the problem, but you are? The hypocrisy in that? See, I want you to understand today that Solomon nowhere condemns wealth or money. God blessed him with these things. What he does condemn is the love of money. And the, he understood that the abundance of it does not bring lasting joy or peace and meaning in life. This is what Solomon said was emptiness, was the love of money and dependence upon it to make you happy or to bring joy. And let me go back or to bring, because some of you say, oh, I don't find joy in money, but do you find assurance in it? These were Solomon's problems. Solomon found issues with finding contentment through his great riches. And there were riches all around him. And I want to share with you, just through the verses that we read, some of the issues that Solomon found in trying to find meaning or contentment through his riches. One was his love for money and wealth didn't bring lasting joy, simply put. It did not, and he had it all around him. More than probably any, we know that any king ever had, and probably since. But in his backslidden relationship with God, even though his wealth was great, he was still empty in his soul. Another problem he found with money was that the more money and wealth increased in his life, the more his desire for more money and wealth increased. It was never enough. The more gold he came in, it wasn't enough. It might have been for a few minutes, but it didn't last. There was always a desire for more. He was always gathering. He was always collecting. He was always anxious for more. The whole was never filled. Another issue that he found with wealth in this world is as his wealth increased, so did mouths to feed in his house. He fed more and more, more in his court, more at his table. I'm going to tell you, Solomon was the life of the party, but he was the life of the party, a party to which he was not enjoying himself. More mouths were coming in and he was feeding more people and they, and they loved Solomon. What a successful king he was and they loved eating at his table and dwelling in his courts. But he wasn't enjoying the party. The, the other problem that he saw was, you can only look at your riches so much, and then they lose their luster and sparkle, don't they? I mean, whatever we collect, we, we get that one new collection, and we look at it, and it, it's beautiful, and it's shiny, but eventually we set it on the, uh, on the counter, and it begins to collect dust on the shelf, and then we need another piece to our collection, and we get it. You see what I'm saying? This is really what it is with money. Now, most of us don't keep it long enough to be able to look at it, right? That's us. Here was another problem that Solomon had. Not only 
did his love for money not bring lasting joy? Not only did more mo- the desire for more money increase, the more money he made, not only did it increase the mouths to feed in his house, not only did it lose their sparkle and their, gl- and their glamour after a while, but he noticed this, that here was the great King Solomon and laboring people that had less, but their needs were met, slept better than he did. And that bothered him. That there were people laboring, making very little, eating just enough to keep them from starvation. And he, and he noticed, they're sleeping better than I am, and they don't have beds like I do. Nobody had a bed and a pillow and blankets like Solomon. And yet they were resting better. And that troubled him. Another thing that he noticed in life that riches once hoarded or kept from giving and serving in other ways could all be lost in one bad business venture that he had no control over. And we've all experienced that. Some of you maybe personally. At one point, what's the old saying? Easy come, easy go. The truth is it's not always that easy to come, but it can leave really quickly. And that's what he's speaking of here. No matter how much a great businessman tried to hold on to and save up for this business venture, and you put it out and it's gone in a heartbeat. And then he said, and then you've got a son, and, and, you don't, and your hand's empty because of this bad business venture that was out of your control. He said that was a great evil in this life. Another problem that we read this morning that he found in this was no matter how many riches and wealth that one accumulated, you died like the poor. And you left the world like you came in with nothing. And you came in wrapped in swaddling clothes and you go out wrapped in grave clothes. And and that troubled Solomon. And you know, the truth is this, we're all just like kids in a big toy store, and we get to go in the toy store in our time, and we can look at the toys, and we can play with some of the toys, but we don't have the money to get the toys out of the store, so we leave empty-handed. Really, that's what life is like. While we're here, we can look, and we can play with, and we can touch, but we don't get to take anything with us, other than what we've sent ahead by faith. He also noticed, and lastly, that the more that he was gathering and collecting and worried more about wealth and riches, the more worn down he became, the more sick and the more angry he became about life. And so there would spring a great bitterness. Do we have some of these issues this morning? Have some of these troubled you? I'll be honest, at times they have me. Are you worn down and sick and angry, always trying to uh, gather and collect more, and it's never enough? It's never enough, and and it will never be enough? The Proverbs teach us that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and uh, we have celebrated our rich faith even here this morning with songs that Brother Jeff led, led us in, How Great Thou Art, and the peace that comes through Jesus Christ, making it well with our soul, even in the midst of great heartache and trials. The blessing of the Lord through Jesus Christ has made us rich. 
But the title of this message is Poor in the Midst of Great Riches. And that's where Solomon was. Even in the midst of great riches, he found himself poverty in his mind and in his soul. Impoverished. And so I want to just give a couple of ways of how we too will be poor in the midst of great riches if we're not careful. The first is this. When one world is not enough. When one world is not enough for you, you will be poor in the midst of great riches. Now, why do I use that, those, that wording? It's because of Alexander the Great. It was said that Alexander the Great at age 33 cried and wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. One world was not enough for him. If you or myself want to be poor in the midst of great riches, then we, we have that mindset when there is an emptiness in your life that cannot be filled, no matter how much you gather and collect, it's never enough. No matter how broken down, no matter how much you worry, no matter how anxious you are, no matter what you bring in by working double shifts and triple shifts and holidays and all that thing, when one world is not enough, you are poor in the midst of great riches. And you're like Alexander the Great. You're weeping even though God has blessed you so richly. You're weeping because there's no more worlds to conquer. It will never be enough. Secondly, if you want to be poor in the midst of great riches, it'll happen when you are unable to enjoy what's in front of you. And you've become a miser. I read that word this week. That's an old term. Usually people from my generation down don't use the term miser. At least I don't hear it much. And a matter of fact, the only way that I really knew what a miser was was from Charles Dickens' play, Scrooge, right? We remember him being called Ebenezer Scrooge, a miser. That's the only thing that really came to my mind of, of the term miser. And so I knew what it meant because of the picture Charles Dickens gave us in Scrooge. But I looked that up and and the, when we think of a miser, we think of him, and especially younger generations might not know that term, but a miser is Ebenezer Scrooge. And the truth is, you want to know something? Uh, Martin Luther said this, there's a miser in all of us. And when I thought about that, it's really true. It might not be about money, but the truth is there's a miser in all of us about some things or something in life. It's part of our corrupted flesh. We become selfish. We become hoarders, gatherers and collectors, but not wanting to share. You might say now, and like me, you know, we again, this was me picturing in my mind. Charles Dickens put that picture in my mind of Scro Ebenezer Scrooge. And so I look at Ebenezer Scrooge and I think, well, I'm not like Ebenezer Scrooge. And you might be thinking that too. And you've already released yourself of that. Well, I'm taking care of that because I'm going to give us a miser test. And I started writing these things down this week. And then I saw, Alan, maybe it's not so much about wealth all the time, but I do have some miser in me about some things. Here's the test. i got four questions. Are you ready? Tune in. When facing challenges and responsibilities this week, was your first thought that you needed more money or more of Christ? Where did your mind go first in your challenges and in your responsibilities? Did you think, I need more money 
or I need more Christ. Secondly, have you honestly, honestly, let's not act self-righteous here. And don't, don't lie to God and yourself. And you can lie to me, but you're not going to fool God. Have you honestly experienced sweet states of contentment this week? Or has more attention been given to what you don't have and want more of? Honestly, answer that to yourself. Only you can honestly answer that. Where has more of your attention gone this week? Contentment to what you had or anxiety of what you don't have and what you felt you needed? Third question. You ready for this one? This is a good Scrooge test. How much of your riches have you shared this week? And especially for God's name's sake and His glory. I'll be a good old preacher, but I'm not some televangelist. I'm your pastor. Did you give to the Lord today? I met with a man... Uh, three or four years ago that he was very honest, not from our church, from another church. And, and he, he just was honest with me, which I appreciated. And he said, I have a real problem putting money. And this, was, this is a wealthy man, uh, a wealthy man that does a lot of good and takes care of his family. But he, he was very honest. He said, I have a problem putting money in the offering plate and trusting God with it. He didn't say that. I add the trusting God with it. How much of your riches have you shared this week, especially for God's glory and His name? And listen, I've heard that so many times, you're not going to fool me with that, that God knows my heart. That's what scares me the most is God truly does know my heart. Don't come in there acting like if you had a ton more money, you'd give more, because if you won't give what you got, then you're not going to give what God gives you more. There's a heart issue there. And uh, I've heard people say that, a lot, not just with money, but with other things. Well, Pastor Allen, God knows my heart. I would come to church, but God knows my heart. I would serve in this, but God knows my heart. Yes, He does know your heart, and that's what ought to scare you to death. And He knows you're lying right now. Last question. The miser test. This is not official, by the way. How much of your time, honestly, how much of your time this week this past week or this past month, has been filled with anxious gathering and collecting of more wealth? Or have you been content and joyful with what God, with what God has put before you? Honestly, only you can answer that. That's just four questions that I put. And the truth is this, and remember what I said to you at the opening, none of us have Solomon's riches the truth is you don't have to have Solomon's wealth to have this issue that he's dealing with. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you some of the most selfish people I've known have been people living in poverty. Whether you have a quarter or a quarter of a million, your heart can still be sick and searching for direction in life with the wrong compass. And that's what Solomon tested all of his riches and he found that it did not bring lasting contentment and joy. And there were issues he had with riches in this life. And so the question we come into today is, what is your greatest treasure? 
Think of Abraham, if you will. Most of us know Father Abraham and of his life in Genesis, the great patriarch of our faith, Father Abraham. And, and I thought, what was Abraham's greatest treasure? Well, some of us that know the story would, would say his son. We know that Abraham uh, was now well in age, and God had called him out of his land to a land that, that uh, his, inherit, his descendants would possess. The problem was Abraham didn't have any children. He and his wife could not have children. Sarah was barren. God promised him a child, but they were older in, in child-rearing years. That time had passed, and God promised him, and many more years went by. And then one day when Sarah was a hundred, I mean, when Abraham was a hundred and Sarah was ninety, God gave him the child of promise, Isaac. And then one day when Isaac is older, and Abraham as well, God tells Abraham to take Isaac up on the mountain and sacrifice him to God. This was his only son that God had promised him, that Abraham had waited for some 20 years for the son to come. And now the son is older, and God asked Abraham to give him back to him. And so when thinking about what was Abraham's greatest treasure, in many ways we would say his son, but I think that would be wrong because he was willing to sacrifice his son at God's command. His greatest treasure was that he was a friend of God and he trusted God's promise of blessing. And the book of Hebrews lets us know that Abraham was about to sacrifice his son. Yes, and that sounds terrible. And, he, and God did never expected Abraham to go through with it, but he was testing him. And God provided the ram and the thicket for the sacrifice. But Abraham was willing to do it because he believed, since God gave him that promise, that he would bring Isaac back. And so we say then that Abraham's greatest treasure was not Isaac, but it was God and God's promises and God's blessing. And he trusted God so greatly that he was willing to go through with what God asked him because he knew that God would take care of everything. And Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure at this morning? Because that's where you'll find your heart. What is your greatest treasure? I want to ask you this morning, as I've asked myself this week and found myself guilty in some ways, are, but are you anxious this morning? Are you sick? Are you broken down? Are you angry? You're in the same position that Solomon was and you don't even have his riches. And listen to his wisdom. There will never be enough. I don't care how many shifts you work. There'll never be enough to fill the hole. Are you always collecting and gathering and never able to fill the void within you? I want you to know today that God desires to free you from that. He freed Solomon eventually after years of backsliding. And you might say, now why does God want to do that for me? And you know, it's because I've asked you where your greatest, what your greatest treasure is. God desires to do that because you are God's greatest treasure. Because God so loved the world, and when He says world, He means you and me, that He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to bear our sin and our shame on an old rugged cross 
to die, to be put in a tomb and raised on the third day, and because He lives, we too shall live. God did that. He sent His only Son because He so loved you and whoever would believe in His Son will not perish, will not die, will not experience the wrath of God in judgment, will not die in your sins, will not die the second death and be placed in, in a tormented place of called hell. But you will be set free and you'll be forgiven and guilt removed of your past sins and future sins and present sins. You'll be filled with the living waters of the Holy Spirit. You'll be brought into the family of God and loved now and forever. Be made rich with the blessings of God and heaven will be poured upon you. God wants to do that and has done that through Jesus Christ because you are His greatest treasure. There's no one else in this world that's done for you what Jesus Christ has done for you. Nor can they. Jesus came to fill you. He came to save you. To call you back to the One that gave you life to begin with. But also to give meaning and purpose and peace to your life. So that you too can sing, as we sang together earlier, it is well with my soul. You see, the Bible says you are God's special treasure. The King James says a peculiar people. Now, I'm weird, but it doesn't mean that. I've been called peculiar in that sense. But that's not what that term means in the King James. It actually means you're God's special treasure. That's what peculiar means in the King James. You are God's special treasure. And the Bible also says that you are God's inheritance. You are God's greatest treasure. And that's why He sent Jesus Christ to free you from the anxieties and troubles of this world. I didn't say you won't have troubles. I didn't say the money's always going to be there the way we think it should and the way we want, but we have Jesus and we have hope. And what does God ask you to do? He asks you to trust Him. Each and every day to trust Him. Matthew Henry said this, the old Puritan expositor. He said, life is God's gift. And He has appointed us the number of days of our life. Let us therefore spend those days in serving the Lord our God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. But that takes trust not in money, not in possessions, not in our career, not in anything else, but trust. A simple, childlike trust in our Savior each day. I ask you today, would you trust Jesus with your soul? Would you let Him heal the brokenness and the anxiety and the anger? The discontentment? Would you trust Jesus today with your soul? And, and a lot of people will say, yes, I'll trust Jesus with my soul. But I want to dig that a little deeper. Will you trust Him with your life? And that means every day that we will live life 
through Jesus and for Jesus because He gave life to us. And that we will serve Him and love Him with gladness of heart. That we will worship Him each and every day and He will flood our hearts with peace like a river. We're going to offer a hymn of invitation and it's entitled, Only Trust Him. Would you trust Jesus today? As we sing, I I would ask you if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you step out of the aisle today and I would love to pray with you and lead you to Jesus Christ. Remember, you're His greatest treasure and He came and lived and died and rose again, ascended into heaven and is coming back to save you today. Would you trust Him with your soul? But would you also trust Him with your life? Christian, are you believing still, trying to find meaning in other ways than the One who gave you life and eternal life? Maybe you need to come today and maybe just come to the altar and pray and repent and turn back to Jesus Christ. Solomon was angry and broken down and anxious, but but he was backslidden. He knew God, but he was not living the life that God had designed for him. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you have seen there is a miser in me. There is a little Scrooge in me. And I need God to cleanse that today. He can and He will if you will trust Him.